You're all very welcome here to this afternoon chat as part of the Three Rivers Rising Festival. Uh, my name is Ellie O'Byrne. I'm a freelance journalist and arts writer. Live about 15 minutes up the hill from Henchy's Pub where we're sitting. And I'm talking today to Owen O'Reevig. Uh, and I'm going to introduce him in a second. But first, just to say that both of these... So yesterday I was talking to Jimmy Crowley, today to Owen. And both of these are going to be available as podcast episodes on Tripe and Rasheen, which is an independent newsletter for Cork City and County. And uh, you'll be able to find the details on the Live at St. Luke's uh, social media accounts or on Tripe and Rasheen, which is at Tidrasheen on Twitter or you can Google it. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to Owen O'Reevic, who is an Illin Piper and also an Illin Pipe maker, a former member of Stoker's Lodge. Uh, if you were at his gig last night in, in St. Luke's Church, you'll see that uh, he was billed as Owen O'Reevic and friends. And you'll know that he plays with a lot of people if you saw that gig, but some of the uh, better known names that he's worked with would include Dolores Kane, Matt Cranich, uh, Frankie Gavin and Mary Black. Uh, he comes from a musical family, to say the least. His father was Michal O'Reevig, uh, another fantastic, famous piper. And his son is the actor and musician Emmett O'Reevig. So uh, thanks very much, Owen, for being here with us today. Hello, Tanya. Very welcome. So, I mean, so there's so much to cover. But the first thing that I want to talk to you about is the incredible instrument that you play. Uh, and this might be a bit of a strange lead in. I, I know a creationist and I would argue with them. And one of his main arguments is that uh, the eye couldn't possibly have evolved with all of its separate component parts. And so it proves that the, there must be the existence of God, that uh, the eye managed to somehow evolve. So he sees it as intelligent design. Sounds like a bit of a weird lead in, but when it comes to the pipes, there's this similar thing that how on earth did this instrument even come to be? There's so much going on with it. I wonder if you could just briefly, for people who don't really know a great deal about, uh, deal about it, let us know what it is that you're doing when you're okay. playing this instrument. Yeah, um, well, first of all, I've been in your camp, there's absolutely no divine intervention that I know of that, that uh, was involved in the creation. So um, it, w it was, I suppose, kind of a natural development from the basic bagpipe, which is kind of common through for, for centuries throughout Europe and the Far East. Um, you'll find basic bagpipes with just, some of them are mouth blown and some are bellows blown. Mine is bellows blown. But uh, everywhere from the basic pigskin and a very basic reed to what is probably the most sophisticated of them all, which is the Ealing pipes, because they have drones and, and regulators and stuff, cards and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. So it's um, it's considered probably the most advanced version of the, of the, of the bagpipe. Yeah. So. And so it's called Ealing because it's the elbow, Yeah, right? yeah. Ealing yeah. is... Uh, some people mispronounce it as Ealing in that they make you sick. <laughs> so that is, um, no, Ilan is, is the Irish for elbow, as you said, and it's um, both elbows are pretty important in it because you, you generate the, the wind and the pressure with your one elbow. If you're right-handed, it's your, your right elbow. And then you control the pressure which goes into the bag, the air goes into the bag on the other side, and that's, that pressure is distributed depending on what notes you want to play and what other parts of the pipes you want to play. You have to deliver different amounts of air 
Yeah. And that the other elbow then, the other elbow controls that pressure, you know. And then you have this amazing thing that you also have like this piece of leather that goes on your knee. Yeah. It might not always be visible if you're just watching superficially and you don't know a great deal amount about yeah, it. Yeah, that's, that's called the Piper's Apron. It's, um, it's essentially uh, just a piece of leather and it, the bottom of the chanter, the end of the bore is actually a note as well. So when you lift the chanter, that, it opens that note, it's the bottom D. And you don't want that open all the time because it's a closed system. So generally the, the, the chanter is down on the leather and that seals it. My pipes, I don't, I don't use those things. I, I have a thing called a popping valve, which is a little mechanical valve that opens and closes yeah. against this, the tiny little leather pad. So if you compare, say, for example, people always think that like drummers learning to drum is this incredible coordination mm -hmm. thing that you mm -hmm. have to do. I mean, yeah. learning to play the Ellen Pipes, it's a, it's a pretty huge undertaking, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of strange right, at, at the beginning. Um, it's it's yeah it, it is a difficult instrument to, to 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 learn at the start, but it's like any other instrument. I mean, the, I I presume I've never played a fiddle, but I, I'd imagine the fiddle is pretty difficult as well at the start. But as you as you learn through the weeks and stuff, it, it gets progressively easier. The one thing about the pipes is that like I play a little bit of guitar as well. I'm 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 by no means a guitar player, but I like to mess around with. But you can just take the guitar from the coach and, and in, in half an hour you have three chords and you can sing some way on Jennings to stuff with it and you know have a bit of fun you know but you're literally months and months with squeaks and <laughs> stuff it with sound the pipes. Awful. well in some hands it does yeah. yeah some guys are incredibly talented they're, they're really um, coordinated and stuff and it's it, it becomes very easy very quickly for them you know but generally it's it, the first couple of weeks into maybe a month or two it's tough going you know there are all these famous kind of like lineages, especially mm. amongst pipers. I mean, of course, across Trad, there are families where there's a particular instrument or yeah, whatever. It's typical, yeah. And of course, we're going to yeah. talk about your, your dad in a minute. But do you think that that's so prevalent amongst pipers because it's such a difficult instrument to learn so that people start when they're a kid and they need to see someone else? Play? Yeah, um, it's probably a big advantage having a dad that plays and teaches, mm -hmm. definitely. But um, having said that, I mean, a lot of the successful pipers we hear today um, hadn't got that luxury, you know, when they were growing up. But, but um, I'd imagine it would be an advantage, but probably not an enormous advantage. If, if you know, if you're keen, if you're reasonably coordinated and if you're musical and you just you have the gumption to stick with it, you'll, you'll get there, all right, you know? Yeah. So your dad was not a cork man, right? He, he was. Was he? He was. He oh, was from, I thought he was from Dublin. No, my mother was from Dublin and my dad was from Kilvullen. Okay. In North Cork. Yeah. But he ended up moving to the city yeah. and he taught not very far away from where we were He sitting. taught down at the very end of, of Wellington Road. Mm. Down, it was, um, the building was... Um, part of the school of music. I'm not sure it is anymore. I don't think it. It probably is not anymore. It's. A, um, but Tuesdays and Thursday nights during the 60s and 70s. He died in 1976. So all through that time, he he, he ran lessons. Do you remember him playing? Oh, I do. Yeah, I was I was only I well, I was 16, and he died. I remember I, I headed out to I won a, some. 
musical kind of a scholarship thing or something out to the Pan Celtic Festival in Lorient in 1976. And um, he he was sick when I left. And when I came back then, he was he was really sick. That was just like 10 days or something. You know, he, he had a brain tumor, so he he, um, he got really bad when I was out there, you know. So mm. I had my leaving cert results and my dying dad to come back to. Wow. Great God. year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a lot for, for kids yeah, to be taking on yeah, at that yeah, age. Yeah. At, by that stage, so you said you got a musical scholarship. And of course, then you went on to join uh, Stoker's Lodge. Were you kind of fixed on, you were a pipe player at that stage by, by that age? Yeah, very much so, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was an unusual piper in that I didn't start playing the whistle. I, I started immediately on the pipes and um, I didn't play the whistle for few years into it you know but always had a, my, my mother was a very musical she didn't play me well she did actually she learned classical guitar um in cork f- for many years and um she was very musical and, and she introduced me to a lot of different musics like music that my dad wouldn't have been interested in you know like like more pop music and um, stuff like that or do you know not pop so much as um in ballady stuff, she, she was she was really into um, Clancy Brothers, that kind of thing. Um, Danny Doyle, Johnny McAvoy, that kind of bordering on the country music, folk music. Tell me music how you stuff. ended up in Stoker's Lodge. No, first, tell me how you ended up with the nickname Rabies. Rabies, yeah, I'm, <laughs> yeah. It's 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 so old. No, that I I can't I can't remember. Um, as far as I remember, it was either Chris Toomey. Um, who sadly departed us a, c- a couple of years ago. Um, great auto harp player with the Lee Valley String Band. He was a great buddy and a mentor of mine. Or else it was a fellow called Smiley Daly, Martin Daly, who is now living in the States. Um, so it, I, I've narrowed it down to either one of them. And I, I think it was because they, they were frustrated and not being able to pronounce Reavig properly. Reavig, rabies, yeah. just a direct... Link. Yeah, in fact, in, so I went to school up the hill here in St. Paz, and in school I was called Riga. So it's, it was, that was the nearest they could get to it, you know. <laughs> it's not that difficult a name to pronounce, really. Like, but yeah, yeah. Some people have a lot of trouble with it. So tell me about the Stoker's Lodge years. How did you actually end up up with them? You were a good bit younger, were you than than a lot um, of them? I I was. I suppose the next guy to me would be Johnny Murphy, Johnny Fang. Um, and Johnny would probably be f- five years older than me or something like that, you know. Chris Toomey, on the other hand, he, he was the guy I mentioned earlier on. He was probably 15 years older than me, so it was a bit of a mix. It all kind of started in the Phoenix. Uh, for me, I, I, I think Stoker's Lodge formed probably somewhere like Captain Mackey's Folk Club or something like that, you know. There was a different lineup back then, but the Jimmy Crowley and Stoker's Lodge that you know from the records and stuff started in in the phoenix phoenix bar in the uh, early 70s i'd say the very early 70s it's kind of the center of a pretty important oh scene. yeah just just the mecca really in 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 the south south of dublin like the, the phoenix was the place to go you know? mm. and we used to get a lot of Britons over in the on the ferry then as well from um Brittany and germany and stuff people coming over and doing quick holidays and stuff. Just, there was a great mix. And a lot of the rockers used to come in, rock and rollers and stuff. And later on, then the punks, it was, it was a very 
very vibrant kind of yeah. place. Oh, did we you all just start on, you know? going in there in your, to play? Like just Yeah, I kind of started going in with Cullum, who was playing with me last night. He lives below here in Wesley Terrace. That's Cullum Murphy. Cullum Murphy, yeah. yeah. And we, we were friendly through school, I suppose. I can't remember if you went to St. Paz. I can't remember. Was there a student at St. Paz? We were kind of just hanging around and stuff. And, um, so Colin, he brought me in there. Just for know. listeners who might not know, he uh, is the son of the sculptor Seamus yeah, Murphy, Shams Murphy, and Murray. he was a Baron player, and he was in was he yeah. in Day Danon? Day Danon, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Day Danon, yeah. So I know Colin since we were kids, and um, he he used to go in there a little bit, um, and kind of drag me in there when we were I suppose we were maybe fifteen or something like that, and I used to drink at the time. I didn't drink until I was. Over 18, I'd imagine, you know. Having come from um, a dry family, we'll say, in terms of drinking, you know. <laughs> and I've, I hope I've since made up for it. <laughs> I'm continuing on that path. But that's kind of interesting because, you know, you think that people, when they're really young, that they're kind of attracted by the kind of like the drink and all of that kind of stuff. But for you, it was, was it really just about the music? and Yeah, oh, it's play? definitely about yeah. the music. And not just... Not just um, the tunes, the traditional music. There was so much else going on. Like the, we had, like, um, there was a, a group in there called Cotton Justine, who was Jershine and Herring, who played with me last night. And Jershine is Noel's, Shine's brother. And um, some of the Willis's from the Phoenix and stuff. And there was kind of, there was such such a, great vibe in there musically and one night you'd go in and you'd play f- three or four hours of traditional music and then some fellow would just pick up a guitar and lip up on the table and pretend to be Elvis and something. <laughs> so the whole thing would just erupt, you know. It was a magical time really, you know. And so you ended up in Stoker's Lodge. Did they have a piper before you or did, would, did no. they decide that they wanted to, that that was something they wanted to improve? Yeah, I was the, I was the, the first piper, yeah, yeah. Well, it was the only pipe. I, I, I was um, replaced a couple of times um, for a couple of tours, one or two tours in England, and because I just couldn't make it with work and stuff like that. So I think. Um, what were you working at, at at the time? At the time, I was working in tree surgery. I was a climber. Wow. Tree climber yeah, and a feller. Yeah. That was my first job. Best job I ever had in my life. My. <laughs> Stupid enough to pack it up. And then I served my time as, as a fitter, a mechanical fitter. And I went back to college and um, myself and Connell O'Grada, who was playing last night then, and um, Kevin Glacken from Dublin, the fiddle player from Dublin. We set up uh, a company in Ballyvorna in 2000. Uh, it was the first online music school the world so an interactive music school mm. but um unfortunately it it's it, i don't know it just it just kind of petered out we, we didn't have broadband and stuff like that it was still isdn and yeah just kind of an impossible thing to keep keep going really in on ways and you also spent a long period of time working for the national sculpture factory i did right? yeah i did um i was in charge of the the floor there the workshop you know and I was there about 10 years and I used to just 
help students or, or, or artists if they, you know, if they had an idea they couldn't do it, you know, I, I had certain skills that they wouldn't have had. And this is kind of skills in, in with metalwork and woodwork. Yeah. Ba- yeah. Basically, yeah. I mean, everything else, I, I mean, I had to learn about killing firings and glass and, you know, I just learned them on the, on the go then, you know, I had no idea about them coming in, you know, but I had good grounding in building and concreting and mainly metalwork and, and woodwork, you know. At what stage did you start making Ellen pipes? I started on a part-time basis about, I suppose, nearly 10 years ago, no, eight, eight or 10 years ago. A buddy of mine who was a very famous builder, pipe builder, um, a man from Brittany, Alan Fromong, lived in Kinmayer, and he was a great old buddy of mine and he used to maintain my pipes and every couple of months, two months or three months, I'd just drive away down and bring a bottle of wine and we'd have lunch and great old time. And he'd have the pipes going nice and dapper for me. And unfortunately he, um, he died when I was away in America at the time. And um, I came back and realized that I'd, I had nobody to, I, had no, I knew nothing about pipe making at that stage and realized I had nobody to, to do anything for me. I didn't know any other pipe makers. I wasn't friendly with, I wasn't kind of in that scene, you know, was, there was a scene where that kind of stuff is really important and it's really great work, but I was not in that circle, you know. So I decided, geez, I'm, I'm going to either pack him up now or do something do about something. it, you know, because yeah, I'm not yeah. going to be playing out of tune and, and you know, with ridiculously poor instruments and mm. stuff, you know. So I, I went about it and I set up a little workshop and built it up over two or three years part-time and then just took the, went into it full-time. And Do you think it's more common for Ellen Pipers to be involved in the making than it is with some other instruments? Like it's it strikes is, me that there's so many parts yes. to them and stuff like that. And if you can't get a certain part, are you going yeah. to start making them? And you know, Yeah, that's... well, maybe not, not, not to the nth degree in that um, very few pipers will become fully fledged pipe makers, but mm. an awful lot of pipers now are encouraged to make reeds and and, and to know about basic maintenance and stuff. Yeah. Reed making is, is really, really important because reeds, like they're just bits of cane, but they're so susceptible to temperature and, and, and humidity differences that you have to be able to stay on top of it or else you're just playing a shite instrument, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and you know who wants that like yeah these days it's much more much more prevalent that people would would, would know about reeds and be able to, to do a certain amount you know but in order to be a pipe maker fully fledged and all that you just you you can't be a piper and a bank clerk and a pipe maker you know it's just there's so much to learn so much to know and mm. it's it's um it's a very process heavy kind of way of life you know do you mind me asking like in a year how many you would sell it's it's impossible to know because um i don't i don't make a set of pipes start to okay, finish yeah if i have an order say in a few months in advance and that order includes three um three key chanters or two key chanters or what i make those in together because okay, I, have the yeah. machine, I have the gear set up to do it then you know yeah because if you only to make one next week, you'll have to reset the machine again. And, you know, so it, it just pays in terms of time to mm. to make three of this. And then you might make 10 of these, make two of them and stuff. So 
it's impossible to say how long it takes to make a set of pipes. I would imagine a full set of pipes, if I did it from start to finish, probably two months, two and a half months. Wow. And then it's not millionaire stuff, they're you know? quite, but they're quite, they're also quite <laughs> expensive. They are expensive, yeah, yeah. But it's, I mean, that's, that's, um, when I say two and a half months, I'm talking about a guy who was a workshop down at the, the end of the garden, spent most of my life in there. So if I was to work kind of nine to five, five day a week, it would probably take me six months. So. The reason I'm asking you that is because I'm wondering about the uptake and the amount of people. So like, so in, I think it was 2017, Illin pipes, Illin pipes were recognized by the UNESCO. Remember that? They were like, yes, it was a, they're yes. a World Heritage yeah. designation. And there we was got, we got these cards like printed just for the laugh. Yeah. You know, we were going to burn <laughs> and beg free drink off people because, you know, we're demigods, you know. But we now live in this kind of an era of real instant gratification. And an era where a lot of electronic music is really pretty simple to pick up. I mean, like, you know, you can learn the basics of Ableton in a weekend or whatever, you know. So like for young people who want to make music, I'm wondering if there's still an appeal. You know, I mean, you talk about like a really expensive instrument that's extremely difficult to learn how to play or to get, as you say, a nice sound out of in in the opening phases. So I'm wondering how piping is doing in general if there are enough young people coming into yeah, it now. Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculously healthy at the moment. Incredible. Yeah, wow. yeah, it's really, really healthy. And that's down to to a large degree to the NPU and the Peabreal in Dublin. Yeah. Um, under the control of, of Game McKeown. They've developed great programs like in, in, in um, pipe making and pipe maintenance and teaching. They do loads of satellite teaching around the, the country as well, you know. Yeah. And the whole thing is, is kind of interconnected, interlocked into the central NPU offices and like any, any, anyone around the world now who, who's stuck for something. Yeah. The, the information so stuff. No fear there. of it going extinct. Not at the moment, no. Yeah. No, no. And I suppose in terms of, of, of it being a difficult instrument, some people like relish that challenge as well, you know. It's, some people would look at it and say, Jesus, there's no way I'd even attempt that, you know. And other guys then look at it and say, Jesus, give me a chance at that, you know. Yeah. Well, it's, the payoff is just the, the, the payoff is range huge, of sounds yeah. that you can yeah. get out of this instrument. It's yeah, very, it is. Um, very yeah. kind of a diverse array of sounds in a lot of yes, ways. Yes, yes. The, the payoff is great. Um, it's by far the instrument that you can demonstrate emotion. Everybody on, you know? says that. I know, and it's <laughs> such a cliche. Like it is, when I hear that about other things, I say, what a cliche. But like with, with slurs and kind of bending notes and stuff, it really is kind of the nearest thing to talking back to you and stuff. And That's an amazing way to put it. Yeah. yeah it's like it's got its own voice. And I know, and I've, I've, I, I know that, People will think it's a cliche, but try it, try it. It's not, you know. <laughs> I want to ask you about the moving hearts effect of <laughs> Davies Bland. Yeah. Sorry to say his name because there isn't only one famous piper in the world, but there was this period of time. I remember when yeah. I was a kid yeah. because I think it was obviously kind of the early 80s. I'm 42. I was born in 1980, and so kids. when I was when I was, um, you know, maybe kind of like seven and eight, like my mom had yeah. that album, and there was all of this kind of buzz about it, and it was yeah. kind of the first time that there had been some kind of crossover 
and the people yeah. were I, I mean I could be wrong about that but from the outside well, it looks yeah, like there was this kind of it was becoming integrated people were starting to understand it as an instrument that might sound good with some rock stuff going yeah. on with some more poppy stuff going yeah. on yeah. did that have an impact on its popularity I mean you were already playing on, it on the pipes on, on the popularity I'd imagine it had a huge yeah. especially abroad um, I'm not sure how how kind of Irish people took it because we, we were kind of drenched in pipes equals traditional music. People hearing pipes for the first time, maybe abroad, didn't have that baggage, you know. So they 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 probably saw it through fresher eyes and heard it through fresher ears, you know. Yeah. My own opinion, I I, I thought it was great. I mean, I, I the the stuff he'd going with the sax and and stuff and his own things later that he did Atlantic Bridge and stuff. You know, he's, he's a great player. Like he was a really, really good player. You know, I know there was a lot of electronics and I, I suppose auto tunes and stuff like that that would get you sounds that you would normally get maybe through a microphone and stuff. You know, that kind of stuff probably went on, but there's no doubt. The guy's an amazing player, and I really enjoyed a lot of the stuff. Some of it, no, I must admit, this is awful. Like, so I, <laughs> I just didn't see it. But I mean, I, I can. I can see that about other albums as well. You know, it's yeah. some some stuff you like and some stuff you don't. But on the whole, I thought Davey was a, an amazingly talented guy. You know, for your own playing, is it more about sticking with tradition and preserving tunes? No. I mean, I heard you last night. You were playing a kind of a composition by by one of the fellas by Heron. Johnny, no, oh, by Johnny, yeah, the Scottish one, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, how much of what you're playing is just like these are the things that I've learned that I want to preserve versus oh, great, we have a new tune here and. No, I, I, I wouldn't be um, a strict traditionalist at all. I, I, I love bluegrass music and I, I, I have recorded little bits of bluegrass and I, I would love to do some more stuff. I did a little bit of recording with Tim O'Brien and kind of private stuff, you know, um, to date, unreleased, but we sh- we'll see. And I've always loved bluegrass. It's, it's a real challenge for the pipes. Mm-hmm. You use a lot of the keys and stuff, which is normally used on Irish music and you approach the tunes a bit different as well, you know. I do the I, I do the bluegrass, I, I love doing it, but I suppose my hat really is and jigs and reels and polkas and slides and stuff, you know. Mm. Slow years, I love slow years and stuff. Of course we just had two years where nobody was doing pretty much anything yeah. as the corner uh, the corner house session started back up again. Oh yes, it? yes. Yeah. yeah. What was it like for you to have to not do that. What were you doing? Yeah, I missed. Time? I missed the playing. I missed the corner house. I mean, it's it's um, corner house is a, a kind of a phoenix of today. You know, it's yeah. Fergal, the guy who owns it, is a great head. He's a genuinely interested bar owner. You know, and he doesn't go just for the what it means in in terms of um, cash coming into the, the counter. Yeah. So I did really miss the um, playing during the pandemic but then I had as I said I had the workshop down at the end of the garden so I, I spent all my time making pipes and making mistakes and stuff like that so mm. um, it the whole thing didn't impact me a great deal amongst pipe makers actually I, so I was watching to prepare for this I was watching the interview that Sheena Crowley did with you oh yeah that's um, a long time ago yeah but it's a lovely interview and that amazing thing that it was her granddad was Tyke yeah. Crowley yeah, and then you have so there are these kind of names associated. In some there are there are sets of pipes that are really old, aren't there? That oh, are yeah. kind of handed down. Yeah, and still oh, yeah, just still 
there's sets of pipes still being played and they sound amazing like from the 1700s like fellas are playing them around the country still you you play a set that you made yourself i do yeah i used to play um, and i still have it uh, a very famous set called the taylor set Uh, they were called the goodman fair pipes and they were made in philadelphia by two brothers they were organ builders church organ builders in, in the states and uh, they, I think they used to make pipes kind of on the side as a hobby or something, you know. But the workmanship was incredible in the, like it was apparently way above um, anything else that was going on at the time, you know. And uh, they were made for this guy called Canon Goodman, who was a famous uh, music collector. And uh, he lived in Skibbereen and he's buried there. And the pipes were buried with him in the grave for two weeks, apparently. This is the story how that was this handed on. That's an incredibly grisly story. So yeah. they, <laughs> how did that come about? They, I'm not sure. They it was kind of before my time. Yeah. I'm not that minds. old, you know. <laughs> they yeah, they, their yeah. Minds? The family apparently the family uh, decided that they should be taken back up. Apparently, one does not exhume an object; one only exhumes the body. But they so. had to exhume the body to get the body. Yes. Right? Well, no. I suppose they opened it. I don't know what to do. I'm not qualified, <laughs> you know, but I suppose they opened something and they pulled out the box and closed something yeah. and filled it back in. I don't know, to be honest with you. So, Canon Goodman, I mean, uh, maybe some people listening w- will know about that, but I mean, you actually see the name Goodman, like he did yeah. an amazing work in preserving Jews. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And like, he was, he, he, yeah, he was a professor of Irish in uh, Trinity as well. Yeah. A um, Protestant gentleman, yes, I believe. Yes, yes, and a great player. Yeah apparently as well, and a great benefactor. So how did the not exhumed, but the recovered pipes get from Canon Goodman's yeah. grave to you? Well, they were um, William Fair. The reason they're called the Goodman Fair pipes because they went from Canon Goodman in a roundabout way. They ended up with a fellow here in Cork who was an alderman or a Lord Mayor yeah. called William Fair. And he played them and they he sterilized up, them first. I, I, I imagine presume. so, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and um, they ended up in an attic in some municipal building above in Galabi Street called Galabi House. Yeah. I actually played there many years ago. And apparently they were in an attic there for about 30 or 40 years, unknown. And some fellow got them and opened them up and kind of half recognized what they were. and called into my dad's music class below here at the bottom of Wellington Road and said, you know what these are? And my old fellow, of course, nearly jumped out of his shoes and <laughs> said, yes, yes. And he said, you might as well have them. They're no good to me. Wow. So that's how my, my father got them. Yeah. And now you have them. So how uh, old are they? They're probably 100, 160, 170 years old at this stage, I suppose. Wow. And what do they sound like? Well, they sound great. Yeah. I, have, I haven't been playing them for for a good few years now because I even when I was playing and making pipes, I, I was still playing them because they were, they were my instrument from when I was a little kid. And it's just like having a favourite pair of shoes, you know, you don't want to wear anything else. But I, I felt that um, in terms of um, promoting the, my pipes and stuff, it didn't look great that I wasn't playing my own pipes. Okay. So I, I had to kind of relearn on, on my own instrument and it took... It just took ages for me to, to get used to a different set, you know. 
That's amazing. So you can't kind of switch back. You wouldn't want you, to. You can clay, but you, you, you know, you're not as loose. It's not. It's not the same thing. You know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So you need to it to be completely and totally. Yeah. Kind of intu- like intuitive and. Yeah. Yeah. The thing just sits differently and yeah. you know plays differently and sounds different. And, yeah. God, that's the most incredible story though. Like it's yeah. absolutely amazing. That's apparently the, the story, and that was handed down to me from my old fellow anyway. Yeah. Tell me what else you're up to these days. Are you rec- are you doing any recording or anything? Like I, that? I yeah, I might just started another recording, um, which I started actually about twenty years ago and, and um, kind of shelved for a while, but I'm kind of re revitalizing it. So I I um, spent a few hours out in in um, Monard out near Blarney there, Conor O'Sullivan's studio. Recently with Tom Stevens and. Um, just recorded a couple of things. Fantastic. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Is that, are they original compositions? No, no. I have one original composition, composition, sorry, which, uh, which I call Rabies Number 12. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I heard you introduce that one last Yeah, if you, yeah. if you call it Rabies Number One, they all know that you've only written one tune. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of stupid, right? <laughs> Great. And what are you going to do with this recording? Is it putting an album together? Or? Yeah, I, I've I've had these things going on in my head for a few years now. These ideas and stuff, you know. And so that's it kind of eats at you if you don't commit to yeah to tape at some stage. So yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm doing now. Do you think are you more of a live person? You know, there's when you talk to musicians, there's musicians who are actually more comfortable and at home recording and they actually prefer that and yeah, they love yeah. that process and then there are the musicians who are like i have to go into the studio to get this down now and they don't want to what they want to do is be playing live how no, is that balance I, um, for you my favorite would be playing in a pub in a corner with no gear no no pressure no nothing no. yeah my second favorite would be a studio i love i love studios i think it's really creative and um, the fact it. that you did go you back do and do a multimedia like a like a, some kind of did you go back to to do some kind of multimedia degree or something I did like I that? did I did a, so you're kind of interested in digital yes, stuff so. yeah. I did a master's in UL in um, digital media development for education yeah so but my least favourite would be a stage like last like, night yeah this this thing playing, playing for my public doesn't doesn't do me at all, really. Why, no, why no I, 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 I like being on stage. I you know, like the whole, vi- the the whole live thing. But I hate being the front guy. You know, it's just the responsibility and stuff that just takes takes away from the. You should be a bass you know? player, then, shouldn't you? You want to sit yeah. in the background. I mean, you didn't choose an instrument that blends in. I know, know, I know. But I, I didn't, I didn't pick it to be front man on the stage either. You see, I, I, I picked it to be. In the corner of a pub. What ambitions do you have musically for yourself? I would love to record some kind of country music and stuff like that in a studio in Nashville. Wow! Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's the because the Ellen Pipe has such a very soulful kind of oh, yeah. voice. Like yeah, I mean, yeah. Would... It's it's really suitable to it, but I don't know. It's it's just it's, it's kind of an impossible dream, really. But. We have to dream big. You have to dream, we? yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. On that note, I'll just ask if there's anyone who wants to ask any questions. I probably didn't cover half of what's most important. Does anyone want to ask anything of Owen? 
No. Okay. Well, if not, thank you very, very much. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And uh, thank you. you're going to be playing outside now in a minute, right? I am. I'm waiting for my my band, Johnny McCarthy and Herring. Well, it's going to be absolutely amazing. I just want to thank again Live at St. Luke's and the Three Rivers Rising Festival. Uh, who I believe were funded by Cork City Council. So a big thanks to everybody who made this entire festival happen, including this lovely conversation, which will be available on Fife and Machine, which is a local Cork I'd like, I'd like to thank them too. Who would you like to thank? All the lads involved in the festival. Yeah, it's been great. Joe and all the lads behind the, the scene and with the sound and stuff last night. Yeah. It's great. It's a great Very thing. enjoyable, yeah. Looking forward to what's coming next. Thanks all very much, so much, and to Ono Rivik for Thank joining you. us here. Thank you, Thanks. it's been a pleasure.